0: Welcome back to a quick timeout podcast. This week's episode was a fun conversation that I recently had with Adrian Adkinson, writer for Inside Carolina and founder of the Carolina Charting Project. Whether or not you're a Tar Heels fan, I think you'll find some value in this episode. Adrian and I discussed non-traditional statistical charting, the Carolina secondary break, and even a little Tar Heels basketball. As always, thanks to our sponsors over at 323 Sports Uh, My team actually just played against a coach who uses 323 Sports. He made a point to tell me how much he loved getting his orders in on time every time. So if you're looking for a dependable dealer with great prices and top-notch customer service, give the guys at 323 Sports a call. You can find out more about them and how to get in contact with a rep at 323sports.com. Now here's today's interview with Adrian Atkinson. really excited to have Adrian Atkinson of the Carolina Charting Project and the secondary break newsletter joining us today. Adrian, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yep, thanks for having me, Tony. Can you just kind of give a, just a quick bio of yourself and then give an overview of exactly what you do with the Carolina Charting Project and some of the other things you have going on?
1: Yeah. I mean, my my background professionally is as an economist turned data scientist. So I kind of have a numbers background and I just do the the basketball stuff as a hobby. You know, I've been doing it for Really, uh, like 15 years now, I guess. And it's just, uh, it's charting the games. Well, I'm a North Carolina basketball fan, so I really kind of focus on Tar Heel basketball. You know, rewatching the games and kind of breaking it down. You know, defensive charting, kind of efficiency by play type, you know, for their primary break and their secondary break and all the options. And, you know, there's a lot you can do, you know, kind of in an automated fashion now. With like the play-by-play and like the lineup data but i like the, the stuff i chart is things you really can't get even by writing a script with like a really detailed play-by-play log you know it's stuff that you really need to watch and kind of understand the system and kind of uh get some analytics that way that might go beyond what you can scrape from the box score or the play-by-play
0: before we get into some more of those details just having done that for so many years Are there any kind of like trends that you have seen that you feel like have significantly changed since you started tracking those things?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I guess I started back in 2004, the first year Uh, Roy came back to UNC, and obviously, college basketball in general, you know, ball screens are way more prevalent, so I mean, that's such a big part of the game now, you know, on both ends. Carolina doesn't really run that many now, but I mean, defensively, that's such a big part of game planning and like for defensive charting Carolina hard hedges usually, but they have, you know, several ways they'll try to defend that ball screen. And that's something that's you really need to chart to kind of effectively uh, measure how, how well people are doing. So that's a big, that's a, a lot bigger part than it used to be. Back when I started
0: traditional box scores, you know, ESPN Sports Center, game recaps, those kinds of things, just a lot of reporting typically focuses on the offensive statistical categories. But one of the things that you look at is the defensive side. And I know a lot of coaches know the importance of tracking things connected to de- defensive statistics, but I-, I wanted to hear what are some of the things that you have really found influence basketball games or influence, the outcome of a game.
1: Yeah, from the defensive side, it's kind of interesting. You know, the, the way I do defensive charting is more of a an outcome-based, you know, it's almost like a defensive box score. I think Dean Oliver on Basketball and Paper introduced a concept like that. It's really, I mean, it's analogous to the offensive box score. It's trying to assign credit or blame based on how people are playing, you know, who who has what responsibilities. But there's also, as a coach, I know the Carolina coaching staff, it's more of like, who's doing their job, right? It's more process than results. So if you're where you're supposed to be, even if a guy you know knocks down a jump shot over you because you're, I mean, just because he makes a tough shot or that you're a little bit undersized or not quick enough to close out, you'll still get a, a positive for that play. I guess trying to account for that, like as a coach, your guys might be playing the defense perfectly, but if you have an undersized team or like you have somebody on the bench who's a better athlete, but it's not doing the, th- you know, not running the system as well or making more mistakes, Trying to figure out the trade off between those two players is something that analytics can help with or charting I think
0: are there any specifics outside of just i mean the typical stuff that i'm I'm thinking of is you know we always think of like steals and defensive rebounds, but even some of the other statistics that i I know again that some coaches will track, but like deflections or you know, you even talked about the responsibility of who's responsible for who. Are there other things that you look at that that are important to those types of, of uh, outcomes?
1: Yeah, I chart deflections. And obviously, like you're saying, when, the more disruptive you are in a given possession, the lower the likelihood that you're going to score. I don't really sometimes I do like special things. I mean, like, you know, denying ball reversals or, you know, keeping the ball out of the paint or, you know, containing containing penetration, you know, with or without ball screens. Uh, but. And I mean, I do special charting on like ball screens and you know, just how, how they defend it, you know, whether they're hard hedging or switching or, or flat hedging it, you know, dropping. And then I mean, kind of a report on, you know, who the hedger is, who the on-ball defender is. And at, at the game level, it's usually too small of a sample, but if you roll it up over, you know, a whole season or, you know, a series of games, it can be informative about, you know, who's, who's doing a good job or who's being effective at defending ball screens.
0: You brought up the point about the sample size, and I wondered how many games do you feel like it takes or how long you know, does it take for a coach to start to see some trends and for us not to be too quick to kind of make decisions based off of this happened in the last two games or this happened in the last three games. I know there's other factors that go into it, but what do you feel like is a good feel for a coach? to start determining, you know, these are some things that are, are typical of my team and these are the adjustments that I need to make?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think for some stats, it depends on, I mean, some stats normalize quicker than others. I think there have been studies done on that. And I mean, for the most part, coaches have a really good gut feel, I think, for what's going right and what's going wrong. So, I mean, if a couple games of data kind of confirms your prior or like your gut feel for what you think's going on, that can really be all you need. But if something is like opposite of what you feel, then maybe you want a couple more games to just kind of to see if it, what's happening is really happening. So it's kind of a tricky question to answer, but I guess it depends on how confident you are or like how how closely something aligns to your gut feeling
0: as a coach. You know, some of those factors could be injuries. And I know you're seeing that this year with the players that North Carolina has. Have you seen that there are still things that are consistent with that team, even though the injuries have gone out? And can you attribute that to style of play? I'm just thinking as a coach, looking at my team and saying, this is more of style of play than it is our players, or trying to, even when a player goes down, you know, bring in another player, and we're still going to be this, despite the player not being, the, the player that we had starting the game not being there.
1: Yeah, I mean, under Coach Williams, I mean, Carolina, is going to play, I mean, he's very much a system coach. Like, they're going to run their their secondary break. They're, I mean, they're going to try to push in primary every single time, no matter who the point guard is, right? It, I mean, it doesn't matter. If Cole Anthony goes down, they bring in Jeremiah Francis or K.J. Smith. I- inexperienced guys who aren't as talented as Anthony, obviously, but they're still going to play that system. So if you look at things like the percentage of possessions where they're getting out in primary, pr- the percentage of possessions they're running secondary break, Those things are all relatively consistent, regardless of personnel. And things like offensive rebounding and defensive rebounding that are kind of system-based. You know, they get out in transition a lot, so they have mismatches on the offensive class and things they can exploit kind of systematically and things that are obviously emphasized in practice. I mean, obviously personnel matters, but I mean, the things about the Carolina system that are kind of systemic, like there are certain, like the rebounding numbers, they usually look good regardless of who's on the court.
0: I've been talking with some coaching friends this year about an aspect of style of play that you've already brought up with North Carolina and just talking about the pace at which they play. When I d- have the discussions with them, one of the things that we've talked about is when you play at that pace, it allows you to create more opportunities, but then it also maybe allows you to commit more mistakes. You've watched them for a really long time. Is that accurate? You know, I'm, I'm also I'm comparing them to a team like Virginia, who you're also familiar with, but you slow the game down. You don't have as many possessions. You're allowed to create fewer mistakes. Do you think that's fair? And then can you kind of talk about does that affect North Carolina and their ability to I mean, they're usually good by the end of the year, right? I mean, they, they it seems like they're a team that typically will keep peaking. Is that accurate or is that completely false?
1: No, I think I think that's true. I mean. You have to you have to normalize for. I mean, you have to pace adjust, right? I mean, if you're making ten turnovers at a UVA tempo game versus fifteen for Carolina, the turnover percentage might be pretty much the same. So that's one obvious thing. But like you're saying, when you're playing faster, I guess you have and you're, you're probably making more decisions. But there's more like processing going on. So I mean, like Carolina's made a lot of like pretty bad entry passes this year like feeding the post is like a big thing, like a big part of their offense. And some of it's like kind of the cost of doing business, right? I mean, they want to get the ball inside. And I mean, if you make 10 entry passes that are kind of high risk and seven of them lead to like open layups, you know, maybe like an over-the-top high-low pass where you have somebody sealed, but three result in turnovers, is that better than getting 10 low-risk entry passes that lead to like a contested jump hook or turnaround jumper that is maybe like a, 35 or 40% shot. So like maybe you'd have a higher turnover rate in one scenario, but you'd have a higher, you know, points per possession. So it's really, I mean, it's kind of a tough thing to answer, but I think the faster you play, you're gonna have more opportunities to make mistakes and you have to be making quicker decisions. So, I mean, that's kind of a skill you have to develop, I guess. I mean, probably practicing at that tempo and everything helps with that.
0: I haven't looked at their numbers this year. I mean, one of the things that one of the teams that I'm familiar with, they are playing at a faster rate, but they are committing more turnovers. Is North Carolina committing more turnovers, and is that one of the main reasons they're kind of struggling a little bit?
1: Uh, yeah, their their turnover rate's up a little bit. Uh, it's not historically bad for them. The bigger issue actually is forcing turnovers. You know, defensively, their forced turnover rate is. Really, really low. You know, when you're not forcing live ball turnovers, you're not getting out in transition as much. And I mean, that's kind of their Defensively, they pressure the ball and they overplay the wings, and they want to be disruptive. So when they're not, you're not really getting the benefits of that system, but the costs of it. You know, they're it's not like a pack line style system. I mean, they're they're susceptible to allowing penetration and then like you know driving kick threes. So when you're not forcing those turnovers, I mean, you still have the cost of the defensive system, but really without the benefits. So I'd say forcing turnovers has been the bigger issue for them this year, but ball protection, like I said, entry passes have been pretty bad, but in general, it hasn't been a huge problem. I mean, really, it's just been missing shots has been their biggest, like they're really a bad shooting team.
0: That's like their biggest offensive weakness. I mean, the bottom line is when you can't make shots, you usually can't win games. So yeah, it's pretty simple, right? Sometimes it, yes we like to make it very difficult so i'm going to i'm going to try to in the next question kind of make it more difficult because there are different aspects of the game that obviously will impact the outcome but for a team that does want to play fast just from the last you know 15 years north carolina obviously has had some really good programs and you've witnessed those so maybe taking from the really good teams outside of just being a good shooting team or just making baskets for a team that wants to play fast, what would you say are are factors that a coach really needs to focus on? Because for us, it goes beyond the numbers, right? Like, what are we supposed to be practicing? Are we supposed to be practicing drills that will help limit turnovers? Like, you know, outside of the obvious things, like what are the factors that we need to pay close attention to if we want to play fast and have success?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Obviously, some of it is just, I mean, Carolina's best teams have had like a tie loss and a point guard or like a Kendall Marshall, who was a great hit you know, a great hit ahead passer and primary or like Kobe white last year. So just recruiting really great point guards. But I mean, f- from an actual practice perspective, I mean, I think an underrated part is conditioning, like being in really good shape is something that Carolina emphasizes. And then just having like the discipline and the focus to run hard on both ends, you know, like the rim run is really important in Carolina's system and having bigs like Tyler Zeller, uh, Luke May, uh, Hansbro. Those guys are really committed to running hard every single possession. And even when you're not getting an easy rim run basket, you're uh, you are sucking in that defense, right? And you're opening up your wings. And, I mean, it's, it just it helps the, uh, the entire transition offense to have that rim running big who's doing in every possession. Beyond that, I mean, I guess Carolina's system, I mean, it, they've got all those secondary break options built in. So having an experienced point guard who knows like when to push it in primary, when to pull it out, kind of cycle through those secondary options is helpful. You know, just keeping the ball moving. You know, they like to reverse it in secondary right away. So just knowing like when a team is overplaying and denying that reversal pass that you'll want to call for like that ball screen maybe, or like, you know, they're they're pinned down or like, you know, they, they've got different options that the point guards should be reading based on the coverage. And there shouldn't be any of those like awkward, like picking up the ball and like, needing to have like a dribble handoff, or like a way to like just reset the offense. It's not fluid, I guess. So.
0: As I watch them, I have seen, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but just the ability to, it seems like they get quite a few paint touches per game. I don't know how they're doing this year, but the ability to get the ball inside and then back outside, they it seems like they move the ball well. And those that coach offenses with pace and space, like that's a key as well. Would you agree with that, and how have they done with that this year? and then obviously, in the past, having players like you know Hansborough and the other guys, the ability to get the ball inside has that been something that has helped their success?
1: Yeah, that's a huge part of what they do, and it's a huge part of why they offensive rebound so well. They usually play a double post lineup, you know, they'll have two bigs that you know they're kind of back to the basket guys, which in this day and age is kind of you know there are a lot of small ball fours, a lot of stretch fours who aren't really looking to post up much. Like this year, they have Armando Baycott and Garrison Brooks, who both do a lot back to the basket. Uh, so, yeah, a big part of, I mean, what they most of their secondary break options are looking to enter the post somehow, whether it's high low or with a reversal to the wing. And then they have a cross screen and, you know, back screen lob options in their secondary offense. So, a lot of what they do in secondary is trying to get the ball in the paint. And then once they go into their freelance passing game, it's a little more open. I mean, it's there's more dribble penetration and some more ball screens and just some random
0: actions. For those who are my uh, Carolina fans, do you want to give them some either some hope or just tell me what's going to happen the rest of the year or what needs to happen for them to have some success? (laughs) Is it as simple as Cole, Cole Anthony needs to get healthy and needs to come back?
1: Yeah, that's, I really think that's the biggest thing. You know, it's hard to replace your best creator and your best score. You know, it's kind of their weakness this year is their inability to make shots or, like, draw, help, defense. So even with Anthony, they had some offensive problems that were kind of – I mean, their their wings aren't very explosive and they haven't been making shots. So, I'm not super optimistic this year, but I think getting Anthony back will obviously make a, make a big difference. If Carolina's going to make a run at all, it will need that to happen.
0: Before I let you go, you kind of want to let people know where they can connect with you and maybe see some of the things that you're doing out on the web.
1: Yeah, I – uh I have a YouTube channel uh the Carolina charting project where uh i I post video you know I kind of break down Carolina games with clips of different you know like for their secondary regular all the actions of that you know I'll try to put in like a playlist and show examples of different offenses they run and I'm on you or I'm on Twitter at Freeport Kid.
0: Awesome. Well, I know I have some Carolina listeners, so I'm hoping that they uh, will go check out your stuff. And even those that aren't uh, checking out the stuff that he does on YouTube, I know will be a help to coaches that are wanting to implement kind of a higher pace and some of the things that that Carolina will do. So uh, uh, that's Adrian Atkinson. Thank you so much, Adrian, for taking the time for us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Just really quickly. If you haven't heard yet about anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and share the podcast with your coaching friends to help us grow the game. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.